Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pete Alonso sends one deep to left field, and that is gone. Pete Alonso, his 40th home run of the season. And that was a monster out to left field. And congratulations to Pete as that breaks the National League rookie record for home runs. Number 40. What a season. And if you remember back in spring training, he could have started the season in AAA. They brought in their bullpen, and uh, we, we grinded every at-bat out. You know, we, we went the other way when we needed to. We came up, uh, we, we got the bunt down when we needed to. We did the small things, and, the, and those tend to pay off. But it's the, it's the hits going the other way that, that really put us over the top. And we have some tough opponents. We need to get some, some rest on the off day. we got to come in um, being ready to click on all cylinders. You know, we can't, we can't fall behind against these teams. We have to grind out every at bat, you know, don't let their starters uh, settle in. And uh, it's going to be a challenge, but uh, I feel like we're up for it, especially in front of our home crowd who have been unbelievable. And I'm, I'm assuming that uh, they're going to be out there again and, and we play well at home. So we're ready for this. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, August the 18th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, 
Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Welcome in, everybody, to this Sunday evening, August 18th edition of the Talking Mets podcast. In a little bit, I had a chance uh, earlier in the day before the game to catch up live in Kansas City with Justin Toscano of The Record. Uh, he was, he's been on the show before, newer to the beat. I think he does some really great work. If you go on Twitter, you could follow him at Justin C. Toscano. Uh, just check him out. Did a great piece on J.D. Davis a couple of weeks ago. Recently wrote, wrote a, a nice little thing on Ahmed Rosario. Big topic of conversation today. And we'll get into him in just a little bit. So you'll hear that as I caught up with him just before first pitch live in Kansas City. Now, uh, to kick it off, look, the Mets just completed a 3-3 three and three road trip. And I would say after the hot stretch and after the disappointing loss last Sunday, this is kind of where you'd want to be. I-, I thought this was out of the remaining three road trips out there. I thought this would be the most likely one they could go 4-2. and two. It didn't happen. Uh, They stubbed their toe on Friday. That was a frustrating loss. They also had a a couple of frustrating games in Atlanta. But uh, you can take the 3-3 and and, and head on this stretch now uh, where they have 19 of the next 25 at home. There's some things they have to clean up. Uh, Clearly, the defense still could be better. Alonzo, who I think has exceeded expectations defensively, not as a great week. I think he's getting a little giddy there, going after ground balls to his right. You know, Frazier had a bad play today at third base. I I, I think they just got to clean up. They got to be crisp. That's one of the big things. They have to be crisp. They cannot afford to give away outs. I know they're not a great defensive team, but with guys like Guillerme and and hopefully now Tejada, uh, they could be solid enough, uh, you know, at different positions if they can't go to Rosario or Frazier at those positions. Uh, You know, panic at second. They should be good enough on the infield and, and passable on the outfield to make most of the plays you should make. That's all you're really asking for right now. The bullpen, that's been tricky. Now, a lot of people were going to make this earlier in the week. The bullpen conversation goes back to the the middle game of the Atlanta series where they pulled Mats for Lugo, they pulled Lugo, uh, pulled Mats to bring Lugo in. And that really didn't bother me, that move. I know he had only had 79 pitches, but I think Mickey looked at it as, you know, Mats is the kind of guy that if you could get two times, maybe two and a half times through the order, uh, you go for that, you take that. I-, I would like him to develop to be more, and I think he can give more. But you got to trust that they are down in the dugout. They saw something. Uh, you know, the, Some of the balls were hit hard. I know Andy Martino commented about this uh, the prior inning. Uh, some of the balls were hit hard off of Matt. So uh, that move didn't really bother me. Uh, the, the problem here is, is because of the way the bullpen is and the recipe that I've brought out, is you really need to get seven out of the starter. Now, you don't want to force the starter on the seven innings, and that recipe wasn't followed today. But the less from this bullpen, the better. I mean, really, Wheeler was probably one of the bigger disappointments on the trip because he had the bad outing in Atlanta. Okay, you can forgive that. But today, against a very light-hitting team, you know, made the error himself, cost himself. I know he got dinked a little bit earlier. I mean, of course, the Mets rally started with a dinker, so maybe that all evens out. Uh, but you got to get through that inning. You got to find a way to get through that inning without uh, giving up three runs. It's not a good offensive team, and he put the, the Mets in jeopardy. And those are the kind of innings against better teams, better bullpens. Uh, you're going to have trouble. Not that there's. I mean, right now the whole bullpen situation around baseball is 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 a mess. Um, you don't want to have to go more than six outs from the bullpen. 
teams like Atlanta, Cleveland, Chicago, teams that they're going to be playing over the next couple of weeks, the margin of error is shrinking. Uh, like I said, they have 19 in the next 25 at home. They got the big, the big six-game road trip versus Philly and Washington. Uh, if you want to talk Mets math, uh, the magic number of 90 wins, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is down to 26. I keep saying that 90 wins will win it. Uh, if you take their current winning percentage, that puts them about 12 and seven at home. A couple of three and three road trips puts them at 15 and 10. Well, the three and three road trip that would be the Philadelphia Washington one, which I think you all would sign for right now. That put them at 15 and, and, and 10 over that stretch. It's it's not it's not easy. It is doable. Uh, puts them about 79 and 70 going into the final two weeks, and, and I guess 11 and two. That would be rough over the final uh, 13 games to get to 90. Uh, but I think that's the bare minimum over the next 25. I think you got to go uh, at least with 15 of those wins, 12 of them coming at home. 90 uh, is going to be tough. Uh, look, that doesn't mean they won't make the playoffs if they don't hit 90. I just think 90 guarantees that we're going to see some type of uh, postseason baseball. Look, we're actually talking about 90 wins. Think about that. We're actually talking about 90 wins, which is something just a month ago we probably would be laughing about or not even thinking about. You thought in August, as the season winds down, that we'd be figuring out who the next manager would be or you know what, you know what, who's going to stay, who's going to go. Maybe there was going to be trades. And, and I keep saying this, enjoy this, have some fun, because I think this is not only going to be about this year. I think some of this is going to build a foundation where this team could even be better next year. I know what you're probably thinking, that the big story, and you know I did hit, uh, Justin up before, you know, he has travel plans, so I had to speak to him before the Kansas City game. So this is before the win and before uh, Pete Alonso set the uh, the rookie record and is closing in on the Mets record for home runs. The big story really isn't Pete Alonso. Now, we all know what his attitude, his ability to adjust and continue to grow. You know, I don't think, I, I wasn't worried about him. You get a little worried when guys start going around the league two, three times who don't have a track record because ha- have they figured something out? That tough July is way behind him. Uh, I I always knew he'd start hitting home runs again. You know, when you get in that slump, you always start to wonder when's the next one coming. Uh, He's heating up just in time, especially because you have no McNeil for another week. Who knows about J.D. Davis? I know he says he's okay, but it's a calf. Can anybody drink water on this team? Because I think it was the heat that kind of knocked out a couple of these guys this week. Uh, you got a lot of league average to slightly below league average hitters in the lineup with the Panics and the Guillermes and the Tejadas. So you really need those core hitters, the the Alonzos, the Ramos, um, you know, when McNeil comes back. You know, J.D. Davis being out is a killer because you're replacing with Altair, who hasn't hit at all, all year. I mean, he's been an automatic out all year. Um, so, you know, not this is a perfect time for Pete to readjust. You know, slump is behind them and get back uh, into the swing of things with these uh, difficult games coming up at home. The real story, though, is Ahmed Rosario. And I know he played the outfield today, and that's a big deal, and and I wish I could have a chance to talk to Justin about it, but be that as it may, another three hits. Coming into today, if you go on to fan graphs and you sort shortstops since July 1st, he's been a top 10 shortstop offensively. Uh, when you look at metrics like wins above replacement and runs created, uh, he's actually top three, and this includes the American League, in runs created. So all of a sudden, uh, you have a, a very interesting offensive piece, a guy that coming into this season, we had hopes that he was going to improve. There was a lot of 
good reports coming out of Japan when he played in the Japan series last year. We didn't see much of a difference early on, but and the defense was atrocious. And look, I was one of the first ones to say, I don't know if this guy is the answer. I like defensive shortstops. Uh, they, had, they brought in Echeverria, which was a veteran. I mean, at one point, I, and I even said this, Echeverria had shortstop without his bat with the old offensive version of Rosario was probably a better play. Because if you're not going to hit, if you're going to have OPSs in the 600s as a as a shortstop, you better be able to play stellar, top-notch, elite defense. And, and that's not Rosario. Now, the defense has improved. Now, maybe the metrics haven't a lot, but the eyes tell me a lot. Those throws on the run are a lot better. His range is better. He's making the routine play. Uh, his approach at the plate is night and day. You know, he's going the other way. He's also driving the ball with authority when when necessary. Those at bats this this weekend. There was an at bat on Saturday before you know uh, uh, before the Alonzo single, where he took a couple of close pitches. He's been doing that a lot more frequently, where he's recognizing the strike zone a lot better. He has confidence to take those pitches. And uh, look, I don't think he's going to be an on base machine like a Brandon Nemo, uh, but his approach is really where it needs to be, and I think that has a lot to to do with. You know, when you look at some outcome stats like batting average on balls in play, where he's over 400, and that's certainly way above norm. You know, there's maybe some sustainability where he's getting his pitch to hit. He's putting himself in a position where, when he does hit the ball, he's hitting it uh, with authority. And if he starts to to put a little bit of McNeil in him, where he starts dunking the ball to right, you know, up the middle and 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 the opposite way, I mean, he's just going to be that much more dangerous with his speed. This is big for the rest of this season, like I said, and next year. If you add Rosario into the mix with Alonzo, Conforto, Davis, McNeil, you have five young, elite, in-prime hitters in your lineup with controllable years left and with the pitching, which is going to get, which is expensive and only going to get more expensive. You, you, you don't have to necessarily worry about paying for some offense. Um, it's almost uh, fortuitous now, where it used to be the pitchers were the cheap high upside where you were getting a lot for very little and the offense is what you had to pay for you're almost flipping it around right now it's actually a financial boom which we know this team needs you know every team needs that so i think this makes for the rest of the season fun uh, gives you hope for the future what more what more can you ask for at this point um i i really think you know you buckle up tough nine game homestand cleveland's uh had a great weekend against the yankees you saw them uh, do a number on the yankees they're not going to be easy to beat. Uh, they have a day off in New York. Maybe they'll go out and get drunk a little bit and, and give the Mets a little bit of an advantage on Tuesday. Uh, you have the back end of the rotation with Mats, uh, uh, you know, starting off with, no, you got Wheeler. Yeah, you got Mats, and then you have Stroman. And, and Stroman's been okay since he came over from Toronto, but you really need, maybe that energy from the crowd will, will bring Stroman to the next level. You need seven innings out of these guys. The bullpen is the part that's, very tough to predict. Diaz looked better. Familia, I didn't agree with the two innings today, but he got through the second inning. And if not for the, the Frazier play, he would have got out of it unscathed. Lugo, I don't understand what the sweet spot is right now to use him. So it looks like they're going to try to really use him only when it counts. Uh, Justin Wilson's okay, but I mean, the peripherals aren't great. Um, you know, Brock has been good. I still look at him like a Chad Bradford situational righty. But he could implode at any time. You saw that on Friday when they brought Diaz into the bases loaded situation. If Diaz can get right, and it sounds like listening to uh, some of the reporting there, and it was Mike Puma of the Post 
that uh, talked about this today, that Phil Regan feels they're close with the slider. The slider is the key. You know, I told you what my friend, who knows Diaz very well and, and, and about his, his arm slot and, and his mechanics getting off, if they could f- somehow figure out if that's the case, if it's the mechanics of how to get him right, I mean, with he and Lugo giving you six outs at the end of ball games, seven innings from these starters, mixing and matching where you need to be, the Brocks and the Familias, the Justin Wilsons, now you got something. You're going to be really tough to beat over the course of the final, uh, you know, what do you got here? You got about 38 games or so left. Uh, to this season, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. But anyway, let's get to uh, Justin Toscano. I had a chance to catch up with him earlier, live from Kansas City. We'll be back in just a minute as we hear Justin Toscano of the record talk to us live from Kansas City right before the Mets took on the Royals for the final game of the three game set and wrapped up their road trip. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Rosario the opposite way, and that's a fair ball into right field. Nito around third. He's in to score. And Ahmed Rosario, his third hit of the day, his third RBI of the day, and he extends the Mets lead here in Kansas City to 10-5. First base hit as an outfielder. How about that? This is a little more extended, and this is much more production than than the stretch he was on last year. You know, the, last year's stretch was good. It was a step in the right direction for him, um, but he has really upped his game on top of what he did at the end of last season. So he is uh, continuing to develop uh, like we've been talking about for the last couple of years right in front of our eyes and, and becoming a great hitter. I mean, what he's done, uh, you know, last few months is, is, is spectacular. I think it's uh it's been pretty common to what's happened last year compared to this year is my confidence has been at an all time high. I didn't start the season off this great but but uh but now it's it's been it's been going well. We're back and joining us, the Mets beat writer for the record, Justin Toscano. He's joining us right before the Mets take on the Royals. Final game of the uh, road trip, final game of the series. Justin, welcome to the program, and, uh, you know, we'll kick it off. I mean, an important game for the Mets, uh, but regardless, you know, one of the more important players now, uh, especially with Robinson Cano out, with Jeff McNeil under the uh, on the DL and a little banged up, and J.D. Davis a little banged up, is Ahmed Rosario. And you had a chance to catch up with him and talk a little bit about what really has been a great hot streak, which is if you look at his numbers since July 1st, has propelled him into being a top 10 shortstop. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously everybody knows a little about the numbers. And when I went up to talk to him, I'm kind of more interested in, like, how you know, how does it – because you come into New York and you have these expectations. You're labeled this top prospect back in 2017. It's like sometimes I feel like by the way he gets treated – I think it's a little unfair for a 23-year-old, man. Like, you see guys in, in other markets obviously get more leash to develop, but he's only 23, and I, I feel like he's gotten a bit of a, a tough shake of it this year from, from some fans. And, and now he's, you know, now he's turning heads and maybe proving people wrong if, if you want. But it's like I think it's just he's grown and gotten time to mature. And I think um, a little bit of what makes him kind of interesting is that before before he had this hot stretch, I do think he, um, I guess, unfortunately, did not benefit from the fact that there are so many good shortstops in baseball, right? I mean, like young shortstops. You have the Carlos Correas and even 
this year, Fernando Tatis. And I think when when this guy is labeled this huge top prospect, obviously the expectations are, are going to be higher, and the expectations are already high in New York. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, his development and then just coming into his own over the past couple of months is really important for the Mets now, now and in the future, especially, you know, with the guys they have out. And, and batting leadoff, he's, he's handled it all really well. And um, to the point where I guess, you know, a couple of nights ago, being up in the ninth, you're, you're almost like surprised that, that he doesn't get a hit, but it's like you're seeing his maturity kind of come through because the night later, you know, last night, he, um, that, that walk in the seventh that he drew where he took two pitches that were really close that, that I don't, I don't think he would have taken a few months ago, uh, but he's just been ever important. And that's only, you know, at the plate defensively, he's made, he made a couple great plays in that white Sox series and then had the leaping catch that we all remember at, at city field to get help Stroman get out of the sixth there against Washington. And um, I mean, he's, He's been great, but I think more than anything, it's it was just a matter of time. I think, um, you know, look, top prospects are going to have the expectations. I, I get it, but he's he's still only 23, you know. Absolutely, Justin Toscano joining me here, uh, Mets beat reporter for the record. Uh, listen, he had that big series in Japan before the season, and look, uh, you made the point he's only 23. I mean, I fall into this trap too. You have expectations. You've been hearing about these guys because of the way that prospects are covered. And you forget, you know, not everybody's Jose Reyes who comes up at 19. Not everybody's David Wright who's uh, elite at 20, 21, 22. Uh, maybe that's the world we live in now. Uh, a lot of times fans and even teams start to give up on players. Forget about what happens the rest of the way. I mean, he's playing maybe a little bit higher level than what you could expect since July 1st. You know, batting average on balls and plays over 400. Uh, you know, he's creating runs. At, you know, he's a top three shortstop in that span. But uh, regardless, this answers – if you could get this version of Rosario, right now let's, let's freeze it. Offense and defense combo. You're there watching the games every day. You're there in person. Could you live with this guy on a contending team, this offense and defensive co- uh, combination where it is now? Or there still needs to be defensive growth or, or offensive growth to be a, a starting shortstop on a contending team? You know, I think there needs to be a little bit of growth, like defensively consistently. But, I mean, if you look at just his numbers over the past couple months and you put those into a, into a bottle, I mean, any team would love to have a, a shortstop that that hits like that. And I get everybody's obsessed with, like, launch angle and then getting the ball, hitting the ball in the air. But, I mean, he's stung a couple balls this, this year. Like, he's – I mean, he's killing the ball if you, if you just look at how hard – his balls have been hit and his, his hard hit rate is up. And, um, and the interesting part about that is I think he is maturing because his walks, his walk rate and his, his strike, I mean, they're, they're both relatively the same to where they had been a year ago. So, I mean, he's just hitting balls harder. And um, so I think you live with that. Defensively, there needs to be a little more consistency. But I think we've seen a much better defensive Ahmed Rosario to where, yeah, if he – if he keeps this up, he will, you know, he's going to shoot up into that upper echelon of shortstops, you know, top third of shortstops in the league, you know, permanently. 
Justin Descano joining me, Mets uh, beat reporter. Uh, you can get him on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano uh, has been on the beat since uh, early spring. Check him out. He does some really great work over there, some really great pieces uh, covering the team. Uh, you know, regardless of what happens in today's ball game, win or lose, uh, the bullpen is where this uh, – in the, like, every one of these uh, wild card teams, in general, it's just amazing how bad bullpens are right now, with the exception of maybe the Yankees. Um, it's, a, it's, it's tricky because you're trying to fix Edwin Diaz. I like Seth Lugo, but I can't figure out what the utilization, you know, the sweet spot is. I still wonder if you can't use him every day, is he better as a starter? Uh, Justin Wilson, you know, who knows what you're going to get. The the peripherals aren't great. Familia is inconsistent. And now you got the Gazelman out, so you're throwing a Walter Lockett, Walker Lockett in there. Uh, this is tricky because you're trying to figure out a bullpen while you're trying to contend. And you need seven innings out of your starters – uh, but the last six outs aren't guaranteed, especially if Lugo's not around. Edwin Diaz is so important. This is schizophrenic. Every week we talk about it on the show. I don't know if I have the right recipe other than maybe you got to go Lugo and Diaz and just, you know, accept the results at this point. Yeah, man. I I mean, you wonder just the state of the, the pen this year, and you wonder, people are wondering why Mickey's got so much trust in Justin Wilson. Like, heck, I mean – He's looked better than than most in that bullpen, and I feel like he's gonna Mickey's gonna they're gonna have to live and die with like whatever Justin Wilson does because you're right you in a perfect world the starter goes seven and then you can throw in Lugo and Diaz however you want to match it up get the last six outs but I mean at some point you know you need that seventh inning guy you need sometimes the starter gives up you know maybe only gives up a couple runs but gets grinded out of the game by by the fifth or the sixth. And it's like, I'm kind of with you, right? I don't have that recipe for Diaz. A couple things I thought about a couple nights ago were um, maybe he doesn't deserve the emotional well-being of, like, being put in spots to succeed because he has struggled. But I was thinking, like, you know, you've got this guy, and I get he's, you know, he's a strikeout guy. But you're going to put him in with the bases loaded? Like, that doesn't seem like something that, that's going to foster a lot of confidence. But then again, they don't want to use him in, in games that are maybe lopsided. Like, they have said that, that they're not going to put him in those meaningless innings. But I, I just don't know if he's going to figure it out this year. I don't think, you know, I don't think it, it'll derail his career. But I just don't – I mean, man, you've seen that he – he cannot be. He's pretty volatile in a in a close game. And but on the other hand, you got to pick your poison, right? Because it's like, what do you do if you're looking at Seth Lugo? You mentioned the sweet spot. I think that's a perfect term for it. What do you do? Do you value getting to the ninth, or do you value protecting the lead in the ninth? You can go either way, you know. Like it's like Edwin Diaz is volatile, but if you use Seth Lugo that allows you to at least get the, to the ninth, whereas maybe if you use the SDA, you're behind the eight ball when you get to the ninth. I, I mean, I have no idea, but it's a precarious position to be in when you're trying to contend. You almost have to catch lightning in a bottle like they did over that stretch where the starters were performing well and, and the bullpen for a few weeks was not bad uh, after the all-star break. And, um, I don't know. Like, I just don't know where you go because at this point the bullpen's going to be the bullpen. I think if they can get something from Brad Brock, that'll be that'll be a game changer because I I think Justin Wilson 
going to be fine down the stretch. But in terms of like relying on on you know a couple of them, you you gotta just if you're gonna rely on Lugo and Diaz, you gotta hope that Brad Brock steps up. You gotta hope that Justin Wilson steps up. Um, Gesellman situation, nobody knows how that's gonna end up, and he's been you know inconsistent like most of them have. So it's like I don't know where you go from here, and I ultimately think the bullpen is is kind of the point that that shoots them for dead, if that makes sense, because you just can't escape that. A lot of teams are dealing with it, but man, the Mets have had some brutal losses. I mean, gut, I mean, gut punching losses, uh, and the fact that they're even in it, you know, thanks to that run maybe negate some of it, but really most teams don't come back from the amount of gut-punching losses. Uh, you know, Familia is tricky because that's the guy you would think, if he's not hurt, I mean, between him and Diaz, you got to wonder, is it mechanics? Is it between the ears? If he's not hurt, you know, why not him? And the frustrating part, I think, if you're the Mets, is that none of these young relievers that were either acquired or they drafted over the last couple of years have been able to come up or a failed starter like a flex and have been able to come up and catch any lightning in a bottle a la Jabber Chamberlain like, you know, a decade ago. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Like, none of them have looked good coming up. And you almost need that these days to navigate this. I was kind of surprised they didn't sign Greg Holland. I know he's bad, and the Nats gave him a minor league deal, and now would do a little out. Who knows? But I, I was actually surprised they didn't jump on him because if you look at his peripherals, they weren't that bad. Now, I didn't watch them over the last couple of months, so that doesn't mean anything. It's almost like you've got to look at that uh, scrap heap. Is there anybody that a team is tired of and just wants them out of there because of whatever reason? And is that going to be the difference down the stretch in September? Or is there somebody in the minor leagues, double-A, triple-A, uh, you know, a starter they could bring up with some innings limitations? Uh, in the postseason, you don't worry about it because you could throw a starter in the bullpen. They're not going to need five guys. But right now, you have two options. You keep, like you said, going through it, or you got to push the starters to up to about 120 pitches, which will give you seven, maybe an out or two in the eighth. Uh, you don't want to hurt them, but certainly you've you got the starters that I bet you the top guys on this rotation wouldn't mind going more innings. I, th- I think you'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah, they definitely wouldn't. But then you have to think about um, being a few games back in the wild card. Are you going to make a push in 2019, or are you better just better off just letting it fly with with what you have now and then saying, okay, like let's still try to protect these guys for 2020, because I think that's an option too. If you have, I know people don't like that. And like, yes, I understand you have to let it fly this year. You have to give it your go. But if you think about next year, that rotation still with Stroman, you have an improved Ahmed Rosario, Pete Alonzo. You're hoping, you know, Dominic Smith, JD Davis, you have more time to, sort out that outfield and those options and you have an off season to do so. Um, I don't know if it's worth pushing the starters a ton. There's still a month and a half to play, but, but yeah, it's like you can't at this point you need, yeah, you need, you need more than two guys that you might relatively trust. And heck, I don't even know if they trust Diaz. I just think they do because they have to, if that makes sense. And, um, it's going to be really interesting because I do think I did think they were going to sign Greg Holland. I was almost sure that they were because, and not on any inside info I had, I was just like, this is a guy who whose track record is is pretty good. Um, why not give him a flyer? It seemed low risk, I would imagine, you know. But but like, why not give him 
a shot. I mean, especially if he's going to have to get less meaningful outs than he did, you know, previously in his career as the closer. Um, why not, you know, why not see if it's six? And I'm surprised they didn't do that because it's like, it seems like they're just trying, you know, what other option do they have? You've seen these guys, um, the Paul Seawalds, the Tyler Bachelors, you know, the Tim Petersons before he was DFA come up and down. And it's like, obviously none of them have stuck. So it's like, why not just take a flyer on a guy like Greg Holland? I mean, he's got a track record. Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. Like I guess they're hoping to uh, Joe Panic too. Yep, absolutely. You know, one thing no one's talking about is uh, I see Robinson Cano. I know Don Smith is also traveling with the team. That's not common for injured uh, veterans to travel um, or any injured player travel with the team. I think it sounds like they want to, you know, keep some of that camaraderie, keep some of that leadership, uh, especially with Cano going. You never saw that with Cespedes when he's been out over the last couple of years. Typically, unless it was Miami or a home game, he wasn't around. Uh, not talked about. I know the fans are not really big on Cano. I know Cano gets a bad rap. Uh, but listen, there has to be something positive about the guy being around the team if they're traveling all over with him. And you could see him in there very active uh, in the dugout, very active, not just with uh, the other Latin players, but, but in general. Yeah, yeah, you can really you can see when the broadcast catches them. Um, I think one big benefit to Cano is I know a few players have mentioned that he um, he's helped them, you know, before at bats or, or right after at bats, you know, kind of coaching them up. And I think that's like a big thing. At first, you thought like, okay, maybe you know, Conforto's. It's like a he's half joking about that, but I think that's a huge thing. It's just Cano's expertise and his positivity and his willingness to be there, as well as, like, Dom Smith. Yeah, you you need a guy like that. Look, when you're on a stretch run like this, you need a guy who's just going to be in the clubhouse laughing, who's going to be joking, who's going to be clapping in the dugout, going crazy. And I think those two guys do that. And I said this before, that you don't make a run. I get it sounds cheesy when Mickey says it, but you don't make a run like they did unless the chemistry is good. You know, if the chemistry were bad – You'd be, you'd be a long shot by that. You know they were, and that they'd stay a long shot. But I think they really value the chemistry, and I think down the stretch, that's the one thing they do have going for them. Is all else, you know, injury wise, and, and it just kind of seems to crumble with these brutal losses. I think the one thing they have is that chemistry, and I think it was a very smart decision, especially you know if Cano and Smith were willing, you know, to bring them along because it's like, especially when you have a a veteran like Cano, a 36-year-old, he's been there before. He's seen most of these pitchers. And I think you can see that he and Smith are very engaged into the game, not just there, you know, like you said, because it's, my, because it's home or something like that. They're very engaged. And I think that's a great thing. I think the, the hardest part about looking at the Mets over the next six weeks is if, if you go back to last week, I think the percentage and take the Royals into the equation – I think they're playing teams with combined like a 530 winning percentage. That's really solid. That's going to be tough. Uh, instead of the scoreboard watching, I look at it this way. you got to look at what you can control, which is the games. Right now they have 63 wins. We'll see what happens on this Sunday game. 27 wins, and that's a lot, 27 and 12. That's playing at a high level. Uh, that gets you 90. I think that gets you in. Maybe it doesn't get you a home game that gets you in. Um, they're probably more realistic in 85, 86, 87. That puts you at risk. And I don't think 85, 86, 87 gets you in. Uh, is that the way you're looking at it? 27, 26 more wins? 
Um, I don't know if the Mets or Mickey or anyone has said on or off the record what they feel. Other than the cliche, day in and day out, you play today's game. I think 27 wins is what I would focus on if I were the Mets. I hate to make it sound like it's Major League and we're we're ripping the things off the off the statue, but you know that's kind of how it is. <laughs> yeah, I think you gotta. I mean, I think that's the target: 25, 26, 27 more wins. I mean, you look at it, and the Dodgers gonna be tough. The Cubs have struggled on the road. Now that's one of those teams where you're like, maybe we can take advantage of them with a, a kind of a rocky city field because they have been horrible on the road. And you saw it against the Pirates this weekend. Um, but yeah, you've got to be looking for that. I think a big stretch, obviously, this is a couple weeks ahead. It's going to be everything's big right now, but it's going to be that road trip to Philly and DC. I mean, I think if the Mets if the Mets go, you know, go for not there and, and they don't really get anything there, I think the season the season might be on life support by that point. But, you know, 26, 27 wins I think is that target number because you don't ever want to leave it to chance. And, yeah, you could use, like, kind of what Colorado did the past couple of years as, as kind of benchmarks in terms of the, the number of wins. But, yeah, you do have to start looking at, um, the importance also of those other teams playing each other, um, like, you know, whether it be the Cubs and the Cardinals, or the Pirates and the Cardinals, kind of knocking one another out, if that if that makes sense. Like, that's why this was such a big series for the Mets, was because you have other teams like Washington and Milwaukee playing each other. So, um, man, circumstantially, like, it's hard to point out a number. I would lean toward what you pointed out. It's going to be interesting, though, because in a way it feels like this is already that postseason stretch, but they have a month and a half of, of baseball left. And I think, I mean, they're going to have to be really good, but I don't think at this point they don't have to be darn near perfect because they were already, you know, had to be perfect. And they're only a few games back, and they, they play those contenders down the stretch. So if you can take a couple of those games, it's going to mean a lot more than if you're beating a, you know, like a Miami. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, uh, again, cliche, and they're a flawed team, and they're not going to be favored probably if they do make a postseason uh, game in any of those series or that playing game. But when you play tough teams down the stretch versus riding it out when you clinch early, uh, you've seen plenty of Cardinal teams uh, under Tony La Russa. You know, I think one year they were down by 10 games in August, and, they, and they, they ran into the playoffs. And when you start playing those tough teams down the stretch and you start to play, quote-unquote, playoff games every night, I know the talent is the talent and the numbers are the numbers. You can't take that away. I think it's going to help this team. And at the very least, this is why I, I think it's important for them to continue pushing. I think it's going to help them for next year because they, they plan on contending. We'll see what the team looks like. Uh, and, and you even pointed out, you wrote about J.D. Davis about a week or so ago. You know, J.D. Davis is for real. you got a nice nucleus of hitters now. It's a different situation than it was 12 months ago. And winning and competing, regardless of what's happening, can only help the development of all these young players who have never been there before. The pitchers have been there before. The hitters haven't. So I'll leave you with that. That's kind of like my takeaway on the way out here. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of why I mentioned what I did about the starting pitchers is like, you can push them more, but I mean, I think you're better just letting this give your best, but let this season ride out. It's not do or like, don't act like it's do or die because it's not at this point. I think 
they're fine. Like you can debate the Stroman trade and what they gave up and what Woods Richards. You can you can just go get into all of that, but it's like they have Stroman, so you're gonna have a great rotation feasibly, um, unless something falls apart injury wise or something happens. So you're gonna have a good rotation. Plus, yeah, you have an improved Rosario. You would hope. You have Conforto, a guy who's stepping into to being a vet. I mean, still a young guy, but a lot of people look at him as, you know, because he came up in 2015. He's still young, still developing. You're going to have him. You're going to have a better outfield. You hope Brandon Nimmo is, is back for good. Look, you're encouraged by what Jeff McNeil gave you this year because you did not expect him to carry on the hot streak after he was called up. You're encouraged by what Pete Alonso did in going from a guy who was competing for the first base job to – a budding superstar. Um, I think it's very plausible that this team does contend in 2020. Like I sure you have to keep working to improve the club. You got to do something about that bullpen. Like you, if, if anything this year proves that you, you just have to have options because the only reason they keep going back to be it, they don't have anybody else. You might as well go to the guy who's got the best stuff. And it's like, you have to have options. They have to work on that. They have to retool it. Look, they've got to be a lot better in terms of, thinking everything up the consistency has been a huge issue this year but yeah like you said like if nothing else being in a stretch run like this being in 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 the race is going to help those younger guys because jd davis i think he's for real i think he does enough things as a hitter that you look at him and you say okay this guy is this guy's just a good hitter and he didn't he was never going to have that opportunity in houston so i think if you have you're starting to have a really good nucleus of guys that back in May you were like, uh, this team's kind of top heavy. But now I, I think things are, I think things are a lot brighter than, than people want to make it seem. I get the Cano and Diaz trade was horrible looking back. Like I get all that, but I think this team's got a good core to where you can even look at 2020 and be like, Hey, anything we do in 2019 is a bonus because we were doubled it, you know, 10 games under 500, whatever made it back. Anything we do is a bonus because in 2020, I think they're going to be set up decently well if they keep just improving the team. Hey, so listen, regardless of what happens, the trip has been eventful for you. Great food pictures on Twitter, at Justin C. Toscano. You, you talked about the Uber trip from hell. Got a kick out of that. That's entertaining. Maybe not for you, but for us at home watching. What do you got coming out, Justin, uh, for those who want to follow you? Uh, on this round trip and going forward, just let the listeners know how they can get, catch up with you and anything you want to let them know about. Yeah, sure, yeah. Obviously, you mentioned it, Justin C. Toscano, and that's T-O-S-C-A-N-O. I I try to keep it light. Look, man, like, it's a it's a fun job. It's a baseball team. Um, yeah, I feel like, I don't know, that's why I do all that, because it's fun. Like, it's a fun, you know, it's an escape for people. It's not like we're doing this because we're saving lives, you know, and I've always been like that. Like, I take the job seriously, but not myself too seriously. And um, and that's because it's like, yeah, man, like you guys love baseball. We all love baseball because it's an escape. It's uh, it's not saving lives. It's not life or death. Sun's going to rise tomorrow no matter how brutal the loss is or how great the win is. So it's it's all been fun, man, even in a season that, that is really, I guess, of a fan. I can't really speak for the fans who've kind of been hurt and jerked and had their heart ripped out and put back in again multiple times this year. But I don't know. Like everybody – I'm always amazed to see the Mets fans on the road and whatnot. It's like, man, y'all put up with so much, I guess you might call it BS or just so much heartbreak. And it's, 
it's a rabid fan base, but hey, passion's passion, man. Yeah. Hey, listen, Justin, I know you got to get to the game. Thank you. Very generous of your time. We'll, we'll catch up again. Travel safe. Be well. And uh, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. That's Justin Toscano uh, of uh, the record uh, at Justin C. Toscano on Twitter. All right. Let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. You never know who's going to stop by the Talking Mets podcast. Back on June 16, 2019, Hall of Famer Mike Piazza talked about the transition from Los Angeles to New York. It was a huge environmental shift. I mean, I'm living on the beach in Los Angeles and, uh, you know, walking around in flip-flops and sandals and then getting in a car and driving to Dodger Stadium and the fans love me and and the, the girls love me, and everyone's screaming your name, and then next thing you know, you're in the you know the cauldron that is New York because uh, it's just it was a different environment, and and it was more laid back in Los Angeles. Um, he, until my contract dispute, I never got booed in L.A. So when I was getting booed here, it was like a new experience, and I really didn't know how to handle it. And then I eventually came around and I figured it out that New York fans are passionate. They have a blue-collar attitude. They just they love their team. And I mentioned that in my Hall of Fame speech. I think it made me better. Listen to this and more on the Talking Mets podcast at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. Final thoughts, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed Justin Toscano. I think he has an awesome take on being a beat writer. Uh, just having fun, not taking himself too seriously. Uh, definitely enjoying his uh, his time. I know he's, he's new to the beat, so talk to me in a couple of years. And I know that this could be a grind for everybody, but this is supposed to be fun. And I got to tell you, this uh, season has been tough. It's been one of the more frustrating seasons, and who knows how uh, those words are going to play out over the final six weeks or so. But uh, I've had a lot of fun. It's really been a season of growth on this podcast, um, and I and I think I just it's just refreshing listening to Justin and hearing what he had to say and his take on the way out about the job, uh, which is a tough job, a tough job for anybody, regardless of how long you've done it, what age, and especially if you have a family. So enjoy Justin, Justin Toscano, at Justin C. Toscano on Twitter. Follow him if you're not yet, and check out his work at The Record. Uh, where I wanted to wrap up was, uh, I know this week, if you've been watching the games on TV, there's been a lot of criticism, and I've chimed in on that about Gary Apple subbing in for Howie Rose, and I know that Howie Rose, uh, excuse me, Gary Apple subbing in for uh, Gary Cohen, and uh, Howie Rose has been been off on the radio, so you have Randazzo and John I can't remember his name. John Sadek, I think his name is. Um, I have to, uh, you know, take a look at that. But regardless, I I know that, and I thought Apple did a little bit of a better job today, but I, I think that when I was going through the criticism and seeing some of the outrage by the fans, and certainly, listen, Gary Apple's a teleprompter guy. He's in the studio. Uh, he's very scripted. He's, he's handing it off usually to an analyst like a Todd Zeal. Play-by-play is tough. What a guy like Gary Cohen does, what a guy like Howie Rose does, who was also at one point a talk show host. So it's amazing where he has evolved into a really solid top-notch radio. He's also done TV, play-by-play guy. Uh, it's a tough job. So I'm not here to criticize because I couldn't do it. 
you know, I'm a talk show host, and I think what I do here is the easiest thing to do in media. There's a certain art to it. There's a certain level of preparation. There's a certain level of subject matter expert, but it's nowhere near what play-by-play is. So when you take a guy who's in the studio and put him in play-by-play because he's the backup, that's like going from, especially if you talk about a Cohen or a Howie Rose, you know, Gary Cohen, that's like going from um, Pete Alonzo to some 4A player, really. Or, or maybe that's a current example. Uh, you know, that's like going from a Hall of Famer, you know, or an elite player like a Carlos Beltran in center field to a 4A player. That's really, really what it is. And I think Mets fans, one of the things that even I have to remember as time goes on, we may have seen a lot of bad stuff happen here. You know, whether you're rooting for the Mets, covering the Mets, whatever your affiliation is. But the one thing that has always been good from day one, no matter how bad they were, has been the announcing team, whether it be Lindsey Nelson, Ralph Kiner, Bob Murphy, you know, Cohen comes in out of the minor leagues, who's a Mets fan growing up, and seamlessly jumps in. And then eventually, when Murph retires and passes on, you know, Gary's that that radio voice. And then Gary goes to TV, and Howie, who was on TV, uh, jumps into the radio and becomes iconic on the radio. And you even had those years with Fran Healy and Seaver and Ted Robinson. Those are not elite years, and Seaver was a bit annoying, but it wasn't horrible. It's not what it is now. It's not Gary, Keith, and Ron. You got Hernandez and Darling. It's been so much of a charm life as a fan from a broadcasting radio television side that when a sub like Apple, and let's face it, earlier in his career, Gary Cohen never took off. I remember even talking to his wife one time and, and saying, the guy never takes off. And she even looked at me like, yeah, he doesn't. And I think as the years go on, he realizes you got to take some time off. Even the, the announcers need time off. This is a long season. 162 games is a long season. And those that, that, that do the whole season, I give them credit. But at some point, you need a break. You have a life. You have family. As taxing as I was saying earlier that being on the beat is to your family and your life, so is being a broadcaster, traveling. You're traveling. You are making good money, but you're traveling with the team. You're, you're going through the same airports, the same travel woes, the same tired. You're just not getting paid millions and millions and millions of dollars like those guys are. So... Um, I, I think that maybe as much as I think the criticism of Apple, of Apple is fair, and I think SMY really needs to say, you know, when they have a sub, I mean, you could go to the minor leagues and grab somebody, I'm sure, that could do better. I think you need to have a play-by-play guy, a guy who's done play-by-play, not a studio guy thrown in, a play-by-play guy. You know, just like they brought Cohen in at one point from the minor leagues, that's what they need to do now. And, and I think politics probably plays into it, ease of transitioning a company guy. Gary Apple's a studio guy. He's always been a studio guy. I think he's going to remain a studio guy. That does not mean you're a play-by-play guy. You may want to be a play-by-play guy. Well, then you need to go down to the minor leagues like some of these other guys did and and hone your craft because what you saw the last six games on the road trip was pretty bad play-by-play announcing. And, uh, you know, whether it be Zeal, Zeal, uh, Darling or Hernandez in the booth, they're just doing their thing. You don't expect the play-by-play person to feed off of those guys like Cohen would, um, but I think this is as much of an indictment of how media goes out there and just plugs people in rather than really saying, you know, who's the next person? Who's going to take over for Gary Cohen? I'm sure it's going to be many, many years. I don't think he's going anywhere, but he's going to want to eventually reduce his schedule. Who is that person? And what will that look like? And, and when Howie retires, 
you know, doesn't mean the next person is going to be a Mets fan lifelong growing up and seamlessly go in. At some point, there may be a revolving door. There may be a drop-off. And think about that. Over 50 years of existence. And the Mets have never had really broadcasting problems. And everybody's kind of seamlessly went from one era to another. That just doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen, I got to tell you. And that's um, uh, that says a lot for how lucky Mets fans have been on that one aspect of the game and of the sport. And I think that was what came to mind as I was talking to you guys and reading Twitter and listening to what you had to say. And all of it's correct. And this isn't a knock. Look, again, like I said, I have nothing against Gary Apple. I really don't. It's really tough to do play-by-play. I couldn't do it. But what's fair is fair. And as a consumer of sports, as a consumer of, of baseball and of media, this was a bad job over the last six days. And it, it, it definitely didn't feel the same as if the regular guys were there, the booth. And, and one last thing before we wrap up is Keith Hernandez. I was surprised to see him in Kansas City because I almost feel he's at, he's at Phil Rizzuto point this year of his career where he only does home games. I see very few road trips. I love to see what road trips he's been on because it seems like Keith just bounces on that. It's either Darling or when Darling was out, it was Zeal. And Keith's like, I'm going to be in Sag Harbor. I'm going to do the City Field games. and Maybe I'll throw you in a Philly game or a Washington game. But I was shocked to see him go west of the Mississippi, and uh, it be not San Francisco. So it was uh, it was kind of interesting uh, uh, to see that. Anyway, uh, that was my thoughts on the way out. I thought it would be a, a cool way to uh, to wrap up the show. Hey, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, I want to thank Justin Toscano of The Record. Check him out again on Twitter, at Justin C. Toscano. Check out all his work at The Record. I want to thank all of you for uh, checking me out on Twitter, at Mike Silva Media. Check out the show at... Uh, excuse me, check out the show, TalkinMetsPodcast.com. That's no G, www.TalkinMetsPodcast.com. Of course, you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Buckle up. Big homestand starting on Tuesday. A lot to talk about. We'll see you next week on Sunday. Hopefully, it'll be an interesting week of games, and hopefully, it'll be some fun, and hopefully, it'll be some Mets victories to talk about. Take care, everybody. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. 
MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 